Good afternoon, everyone, both here in our congregation and those who are joining us online. We're grateful to be here once again. Today is the eighth day of the first month, so we are six days away from Passover, coming quickly and soon. We're very much looking forward to that. We welcome the Hessels back from their winter away in Florida here locally, and uh, certainly uh, welcome our guests that have joined us and looking forward to the service here together today. So I invite you to rise now. And I'll call uh, our brother Gord forward to open us in prayer. Our great God, our loving Father, and your Son at your right hand, we are just so blessed that you allow us to be here, that we even know enough that this is your Sabbath day, we should be keeping it the way that you want us to keep it. We ask also, too, Father, that you be with all the brethren around the world, some suffering terribly, those that are in Africa, the brethren that are over in Europe, and anywhere that they may be. We know that times are changing quickly, but because we know you and your son, and have your Holy Spirit, we are blessed to know what's coming, so we don't mind what's coming, Dad. We just love you, and we want you to know that we place everything and let everything be done according to your will. We ask this to bless the Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Please uh, remain standing. Take your handbooks now. Open them to page 130, 130. And we will begin the song service with Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. I take my cross and follow him 
wherever he Very nice beginning, brethren. Let's turn back to page 83 now, page 83, taken from the 51st Psalm. We'll sing, In Thy Loving Kindness, Lord, on page 83. Very nice. Brethren, good to sing hymns together today. Please remain standing. We'll have the scripture reading now brought to us by Brother Andrew. He will read to us from John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58. 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real, fruit, real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Thank you, Andrew. Please be seated. We now come to the intercessory prayer part of our service. So we've got a few prayer requests that have come in. And then as we... Go ahead. Sorry, I forgot to mention to you. Could you pray for uh, Paul Wozniak? He's in Illinois. Okay. Very ill. Certainly. So we've got uh, a few prayer requests. Um, and then what, after we uh, after I list the prayer requests, we, as we typically do, we have an opportunity to uh, spend some personal time with God, as we do here, for a couple of minutes. And then I will call Pastor Adrian forward, and he can uh, offer up our collective prayer before God. Um, news from uh, Ottawa, our brother Ernie Marion. Most of you know Brother Ernie. He suffers from uh, muscular dystrophy. Um, he had it, has been unwell this last week after suffering a very uh, nasty fall at his home. And was unable to get up. So as he, as the disease uh, progresses, his his uh, obviously provides him with some increasing challenges. So uh, he's asked for prayers uh, for God's mercy in his suffering. Is what his prayer request was, especially as we come into the Passover season. And um, as we just heard from our brother Gord Paul Wazikoff, an elder in uh, the area here in God's Church. Uh, with uh, with the United Church of God, he's in ill health, and so please pray for uh, Paul. That uh, especially as a, as an elder coming into time of Passover season, where, where there's a lot of uh, responsibility, uh, please uh, pray for him and his family. And then we received uh, news last night. Many of you know Betty Hoagland. Uh, she's in the Indiana area. She spent several feasts with us in Leamington and in Niagara. She's a, definitely a follower here uh, of ours. Uh, her husband lost his battle last night with cancer. He was in uh, palliative care. Uh, thankfully, not long. That was her prayer request initially last night, was that he not be in palliative care too long. And uh, it turns out God did answer that prayer in advance of our collective prayers that he did uh, take uh, his sleep last night. So please pray for her and her family. She's got a couple of adult boys. I think uh, they've got their own families. And uh, obviously, as we come into the Passover season, that is uh, uh, of special note at this time of year. And, of course, we continue to pray for the body of Christ around the world as we come into the Passover season. So spend some personal time with God, and then Pastor Adrian will come up and um, give us the collective prayer.
And I'll just ask you to join me in prayer. Please stand. Our most holy, loving, merciful Father, our creator, and, and the sustainer of this entire universe, it, it's with awe, with deep respect and humility that we come before you, Father, knowing that despite all of this creation that you monitor and sustain, that your ear is open unto us here on the earth. And we just, uh, we're just in awe, Father, and just thank you that we have this relationship with you where we can call you Father. And we thank you, Father, that we can intercede on behalf of our brethren and your children. And now we have uh, two men in the faith, our brother uh, Ernie and also um, the Paul Wasselkoff, who at this time, as it was mentioned, heading into Passover, there's so much work to be done in preparing the body for such a, a profound and important ceremony we pray god that you'll be merciful uh, we just uh, love our brother ernie and his zeal and his desire to uplift the brethren there in ottawa and we know that he's struggling with this this ms and we pray father you'll be <clears throat> merciful to both these men especially now in this season that uh, they would be able to focus on the meaning of these days and that, Father, you would uh, truly uh, bless them with comfort and healing at this time. We thank you, Lord, for your, your attention and your loving kindness. We also want to pray for your attention and loving kindness on our sister, Betty, as she now uh, mourns the loss of her husband, Rick. We thank you, God, that his time in palliative care was, was short. But we know that death is an enemy. And it's so uh, painful to have a loved one torn from us, torn from this life. And this is something that every human that ever has been born has had to deal with. And in fact, we are preparing for the remembrance of the death of Christ. But as we prepare for this remembrance, we prepare for it with this great hope because of his resurrection. And we know that he's the first fruits of all those who sleep. And we pray, God, that you would uh, comfort our sister Betty with this deep understanding that she has, that her husband Rick will live again, that we will be reunited. And so even though we do suffer loss, we do suffer the pain of loss, it's very real. She, she needs to grieve. We pray you'll be with her father through this grieving process and her family. But, Father, let her grieve with a, a deep hope and knowledge of the resurrection. And especially as we come into Passover, Father, we pray that, that the power of the resurrection would be fully realized in her mind. And not only her, Father, but all of us. As we come into now this very precious time, we know it is so special to you. It's so special to Christ. We pray, Father, that all the men who speak and teach and preach during this period 
will, will help us all to realize just how special it is to you and that it would be special to us. We thank you so much, Father, for the sacrifice of Christ, the many blessings we enjoy as a result of that sacrifice. And we pray in his mighty and awesome name. Amen. Thank you for remaining standing. Grab your hymnals now. Before we get to the sermon, we have one more opportunity to sing praises to God. Turn to page 153. Just a couple of comments on this for our local congregants. This is the hymn that we will be singing after the Passover service. So we wanted to familiar, make sure that you're all familiar with it. It comes from Psalm 118, one of the Hallel Psalms we've been studying uh, that are related to Passover. So we'll be singing page 153, Oh, Give Thanks Unto Our God. Thank you, brethren. Please be seated. We have the opportunity to hear from our deacon, Deacon Jan Kowalczyk. He will be speaking to us the last message here before Passover. His message entitled, Eat My Flesh and Drink My Blood. What? How? Deacon Jan. Good afternoon, everyone. It's nice to see you again on another Sabbath day. 
and this is the last sub before the great and awesome time of year that we're just about to enter. And I just, I just can feel the excitement. You know, it's excitement in my life and I just, I just can't wait. I just can't wait till the students are going to come. And I hope you feel the same way. And I know that for many of us, there is a lot of work, physical work, lots of cleaning, getting rid of the leaven, but try to keep the spiritual pictures in mind as we come in closer and closer and closer. Don't be overworked before Thursday evening. Okay. Don't be lower energy level. Take your time off. Make sure that you, when we come together at the night, we are full of God's Holy Spirit here. Just before I go in deep into my message today, I would just like to quick, would just give a quick review what we just about to enter. You know, some of you who are watching us, a nice greeting, nice welcome, thanking in for joining us. Hopefully we have some viewers that watch us for maybe first time, maybe for a few weeks, have no clue what I'm just, what I'm just talking about. So just just to have a quick review for the next few minutes, Leviticus chapter 23. Just open your Bibles here, Leviticus chapter 23. We have all this summary of God's holy time. When we mean a holy time, it means that's a special time set apart by God himself. He opened his door on this time and said, my children, Come here and fellowship together. This is not our time. This is her time and his door are open. So here when we come on Thursday evening, this coming Thursday evening, this week, here on Leviticus chapter 24, verse 4, 23, verse 4, it says, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations we shall proclaim at their appointed time. Verse 5, on Thursday evening it says, on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. So when we arrive here on Thursday evening, just before the sunset, but we start everything just about the sunset, we'll be entering in into God's holy presence, entering in into God's holy time here. And hold your place here. Hold your place here. 1 Corinthians 11. Hold your place here in Leviticus. Just go to 1 Corinthians 11. Just the one verse here. 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 11 here. Just so you know, we have to make sure that whatever we do is aligned strictly what God is commanding us through his word. So we're in the Torah. Now we just go to the, to the gospel. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, for I, for I received from the Lord, Paul is speaking, writing here, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So which, which night he was betrayed? That was at the beginning of the Passover night. Exactly on the same night when we're going to gather together, we're going to follow the same thing. Right? Go back to Leviticus chapter 23. So we'll be here on Thursday, beginning of the 14th, beginning of the Passover. We'll be keeping something special. Together as a family, observe something special. And here, Paul said, was also so specific over there in Corinthians, he said, just make sure as we got together on this night, specific night, he says he's mentioned it in his writing. He said, that was the night when Christ was betrayed. They don't have to mention that, but he did. Of all these people, very close to betray him on that night. So Paul wants to make sure that we keep this thing. 
in our mind as we come together. Now, here in Leviticus chapter, the same verse 6, he says, on the, and on the 15th day of the same month, that will be Friday, on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. It's a seven day you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no custom work on it, but you shall offer an offering by fire to the Lord for seven days, and the seventh day shall be a holy convocation, you shall do no customary work. And here keep in mind also here, the feast lasts seven days. First day is a holy convocation, the seventh day is a holy convocation. This is God's time, okay? So these specific days is not about our feelings. It's not about the weather. It's not about what you what your neighbor is going to say to you, what he's going to do to you, or she's going to do to you. This is God's holy time. We depend on God, and God expects all of us to be here, convocated together. This is God's holy time. It's not optional. It's not like, not based on your feelings. I just don't feel like it up today. Yes, you do. Okay? It's very, spe- it's very specific here. Now, as I said, is a, very busy time of the year, as we're going to be all cleaning and doing and hard work, God is saying here, as much as we spend all this focus and attention trying to get rid of all the leaven from our homes, which is important, I'm not saying not to do it, but it's also very important here to eat unleavened bread every single day for seven days. And you know, some people have an issue sometimes, you know, for how long we eat it, for seven days, for eight days, let me tell you that this holiday will be eating it for many days. And even the reason why, because last day of unleavened bread is on Friday. So whether you like it or not, you'll be still eating unleavened bread on Sunday. Or, or, I mean, on Sabbath. Okay, some people get very mathematical. It says, God command me to eat on seven days. Yeah, good luck. Go and eat just for seven days. Let's see what you're going to eat on the eighth day. Let's just move on here. Now, there is another thing that we're going to do here on that, as we gather together on Thursday night. Very important. Also very important. Here and just quick. Just quick reminder, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We'll go over the scriptures again and again and many times through this part of the year. But just the, just a quick refreshment. Come prepare. John chapter 13. And here in verse 3. Jesus, verse 3, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from a supper, and then I saw his garment, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And if you skip down to verse 14 here, it says, if I, de- if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash once another's feet. So when you come on Thursday night, make sure to prepare Make sure that you have a basin. Make sure you have a towel. We will wash each other's feet after the supper. All clear? Very good. Go to the message now. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 here. And verse 26. And we're going to throw all of this, thank you, more details. 
for the Passover evening. And I've been in a church for over 20 years. And I always read this passage. And I actually never put a much thought into this passage. I thought that I understand everything. That I knew everything about what is happening here. But actually here, whatever the words, we're going to read it here. Not a single disciple. It's disciple understood at that night what Christ was speaking to them. And I don't think many, many Christians fully understand the meaning of these words that Christ is conveying them here on this Passover night. Let's just read it together. Verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. What's that supposed to mean? Christ never explained it here. Neither did Matthew. What is that supposed to mean? Take, eat it. This is my body. Not a single disciple get up from the table and says, hey, 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 wait a minute. What is the meaning of that? I don't understand that. Keep reading. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Wait a minute. Who are you? Who you think you are? What, what kind of covenant are you talking about? We are under covenant. Are you God to put us into some other covenant here? What are you talking about? What are you speaking about? Remissions of sin. Wait a minute. Who are you? What is it? How are you about to do this thing? I just don't understand. Do you? It's not that simple, right? What is Christ, what is Christ telling them here? And as I said, through all this night, in Matthew Gospel, in Luke Gospel, in Mark Gospel, Christ never go about to explain the meaning of his spoken words. Neither any of the single disciples ask Christ, what is the meaning of these words? And we know that they did not understand. We know that they all didn't get it because we know from their own behavior. They didn't get it. John explained a little bit. Maybe looking back, writing his gospel, he said, just wait a minute. Maybe I should give them a little bit of explanation here. Maybe people are still confused. What was this night? What was this evening all about? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is horrible. It's disgusting. How can you say something like that? What culture does it? What kind of religion is that? Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'll pick it up from verse 48 here. 
John chapter 6 and 48. Who is this guy to use this kind of a language in a public speech? In a synagogue. This is what Christ is doing. I am, verse 48. I am the bread of life. Just think about it. What kind of lunatic can say words like that? Who is qualified to say something like that? I am the bread of life. And you know, he is speaking to a covenant people. The covenant people felt a full understanding of all these miracles that took place at this time of the year. Escaping Egypt. Running through the sea. Okay? When God provided bread from them from heaven. Water from the rock. They all see, they all can understand about all these miracles that God performed, right? And here Christ is saying, to this crowd that synagogue says, I am the bread of life. Look what he's saying. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and what? And they're dead. How good was that for them? You all know, yes, you claim you're God's people. You all remember all this miracle. You pride yourself that you're Abraham's children. You are part of all this miracle. What happened? You are all dead. How good was that for you? You're all dead. What do you think? All these dead people now, what kind of hope do they have? According to the covenant of Moses. What hope do they have that die in the wilderness? People through all the centuries and millennia that died, according to the Mosaic covenant, what hope do we have with these people that died? Zero. None. Nothing. This is verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. Then one may eat of it and not die. Some people look at this passage in the mainstream Christianity and say, like, Ooh, now if I accept Christ, I live forever. That's it. It's done deal. Right? But now we just have to read the entire the entire chapter here. So he says, why not die? He says, I am, not just the bread, I am the living bread which came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh. Christ is explaining here. What kind of bread, people, what are you talking about? He said, this bread that I am about to give you is my flesh. What is he talking about? I'll be sacrificed. I'll die for you. And you people, of all these people, you understand the sacrificial system. You should know what sacrifice is all about. Okay? And shall give my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the word. You're Abraham's children. But I give this life, not just for you guys, but for the life of the word. Wait a minute. How much worthy is your life? You're trying to hear some big words here. Who are you? What kind of authority do you have to speak words like that? How long are we going to tolerate you, Jesus, when you're speaking because you have no, you have no authority here? That's what the Bible Jews were thinking about, right? What kind of authority do you have? And here, Let's keep down to verse 54. 
This is just, I want you to use this term. This is a brutal saying to that culture at the time. 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And look what he says. And I will raise him up at the last day. It doesn't mean that because you partake of something, you have eternal life. No, Christ is saying, I will raise him up at the last day. To raise somebody up, it means what? You're dead. Okay, you're dead. And it says, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my, my, my blood abides in me, and I am him. And you know, we look at this thing, we don't take, we don't make a big deal out of it, because we, we think we all got it, we all understand it, what it means. But to that audience at that time, when he was speaking words like that, they couldn't comprehend it. Go back to verse 52. Look what happened here. The Jews, therefore, quarrel. And this word quarrel is not just like, you know, they just make a little noise here, okay? It can mean to fight, to strife. This is a big deal, okay? This heretic is, you know, making a proclamation that, you know, he has no authority to do so. Who is this guy? The Jews, therefore, quarrel among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How is that possible? Forget about his blood. How is it possible? The Torah observant people missed this thing. Missed this thing. What is all over the place in the Torah and in the prophets. They just missed it. The question is, what? How? How are we supposed to understand it? So we're going to go back. And hopefully I'll help you to understand the way how I help myself to fully understand, comprehend, and appreciate Christ's sacrifice for us. Okay? Because what Christ did here, you know, if you know me, that actually was prophesied in Genesis chapter 15. You Abraham sleep. This is a blood covenant. I'll walk through it. Okay? That was just the forerunner of it. But in order to have a full picture, you know, last time when I was speaking here, when I was talking about the Passover 360, remember that? I talked about the firstborn. And I, I, I noticed that, you know, that was a great interest because studying the Torah is not the most interesting subject today. And people just like to skip it. But there is so much information in the Torah. And I would like to go back just to refresh our memory about the firstborn. We're actually going to spend some time in the Torah. But here, Exodus chapter 13. We read all the scriptures last time when I was here. But just to, just to refresh our memory here. When people say that Passover, Egyptians Passover was about sin. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that sin at all. There is sin not even mentioned there through the whole chapter. Okay? Has nothing to do with sin, the Egyptian Passover. So here, Exodus chapter 13. Right after this miraculous event. So we'll start with the first one here, okay? Right after this miraculous event, chapter 13, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israelites, both of men and beast. 
it is mine. Every firstborn to break the womb. God says, this belong to mine. Specifically, they are mine. You can't have them. Every single male, firstborn male, belongs to me. And there is no price of money that you can pay to take them back or use the words to redeem them. None. They strictly belong to me. That's the message here, what God is saying. And he's saying a little bit later here. In verse 11, right? Remember we covered it last time. It says here, And it shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn which you have, the males shall be lords. Okay? What happened in Egypt is God saying, this, you're going to remember this way for as long as you live. It's very important. It's very crucial. Every firstborn belongs to me. But he says, every firstborn of donkey, we're talking about the unclean animals, they also belong to God. But God says, I'll give you an option. You can redeem and You can buy them back at the value that is much higher than was their original price. Let's say they cost 100 bucks. Now we have to pay God 120 to redeem the firstborn of unclean animals. We already covered that, right? Just to refresh your memory. But here, basically, what is God saying to the Israelites? When you're never going to go there, if you ever firstborn son or any member of your family is going to ask you, here in verse 15, this is how we answer it. So here in verse, actually 14, it says, So it shall be, when your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is this? What are you doing, Dad? What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 15. It came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of men and the firstborn of beasts. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my son I redeemed. So this is crucial. So firstborn was dedicated, consecrated to God. Every firstborn male of each family was supposed to be a holy to God, a priest to God, so to speak. Right? Remember we covered it in the, my last message here. Now, now we come to Christ. Because this is leading to something. They were supposed to practice this thing from Egyptian Passover all the way each time when they have a first male born as a firstborn, they were supposed to learn a lesson. Something is leading to something. Something is very important about the firstborn, right? John chapter 1. Well, all the other writers just didn't mention it. John did. When we're talking the first man belonged to God, it means they are, let me, you know, we're not going to like it because that's going to be popular in today's society. The value of the firstborn is much, much more valuable than the value of the secondborn. Not nice, right? But basically what it is. The value of the firstborn is much higher than anyone else in the family. Not what it is. John chapter 1, in the beginning, who was in the beginning? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. What John is talking about? 
He's talking about Christ here, right? Skip to verse 14. And the word, the word that was in the beginning, become flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the, what? Only begotten son. Only begotten son. It doesn't mean that he's just the one and the set. He's the first. So far, he's the first. Go back to verse 12. But as the result of this thing, that he came and dwelt among us, verse 12. But as many as received him to them, as received him to them, he gave the right, he gave them right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. It's leading to something, right? Now, what is here? John is saying, firstborn, what he's saying here, Christ's life, much, much more valuable than your life, than all of our lives combined. Christ's life is much, much more valuable than any single life on this planet. Future, present, past. That's what it means. He's the only begotten of God. His life is precious. Now, so that was the first point. Just to refresh your memory about the firstborn. Okay? Now we're going to have to the second point. The Levitical sacrificial system. We're not going to cover all of it. I don't have time for that. We're just going to cover a one specific sacrifice in the system that just, uh, just a mind blow. It's a mind opening. Okay? So, just to refresh your memory. Levitical system. Levitical system, when it comes to sin, never ever, okay, remember, never ever provided a sacrifice for sin committed intentionally. Are we clear? The Levitical system never ever provide forgiveness for sins committed intentionally. What sins are we talking about here? Let's just mention fewer. Murder. If you commit a murder and there were two witnesses witnessing to murder that you committed, you can't just say, hey, let me just go down on my knees and let me just repent and let me offer a sacrifice at the temple and please forgive me. No, there was no such thing as forgiveness. Based on two witnesses, your life was over. No hope. You're done. You're dead. And as far as God, God is concerned, you just become ashes. You're dead. So that was murder, adultery, dishonoring parents, idolatry against God. There is all kind of different 20 horrible sins. There is no forgiveness. The mosaic system would never allow you anything to receive forgiveness for this horrific sins. There was no hope. No hope whatsoever. But here in Levitical system here. Let me just let me just let me just read you some verses here. Leviticus chapter four here. Leviticus chapter four. Just to refresh your memory quickly. Verse two. Leviticus four verse two. Speak to the children. He's a sin offering. Specifically, there is a sin offering. And I think that's a misleading because people think, oh, if there is a sin offering, it means if I commit a sin, any sin, I can just offer a sin offering and be forgiven. No, no, no. Read the details. Verse 2. 
Speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins what? Unintentionally, right? Not intentionally. If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandment of the Lord. Unintentionally. Skip down to verse 13. Verse 13 now. Now the whole congregation of Israel sins what? Unintentionally again. It never ever says intentionally. If it sits unintentionally, verse 22. When a ruler has sinned, and that's something unintentionally, again, it's not something he committed intentionally, unintentionally, okay? That's what he offered, the sin offering, right? And just last, well, last verse here, 27. And if any one of the common people sin what? Unintentionally, again. Never ever mosaic system provide something that you can offer for intentional sins. Never ever. And of all the people, of all the people of the planet, the Jews should fully understand this. They should have the knowledge that are sins I can't be forgiven by going to the temple and offer my sacrifice. Of all the people that should have the first class knowledge about that. And they missed it. And they missed it. Only, only through God's specific intervention they could, they could, some of the people could receive a specific grace from God and preserve their lives. Second Samuel chapter 12. I'll show you what I mean by that. Second Samuel chapter 12. And we know story about David when he sinned. He committed all those crimes that he just can't repent. He just can't receive forgiveness. There is nothing he could offer and sacrifice to receive forgiveness here. Okay? So here, Samuel chapter 19, let's just, just pick up the story. You know what I'm talking about here. Verse 9. What's confronted by prophet Nathan, he says, verse 9, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah. So that's the first, that's, that's one of the commandments. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. Death penalty after death penalty after death penalty, right? And have killed him with, with swords of the people of Ammon. And I'll skip down to verse 13 here. So David said to Nathan, So David said to Nathan, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And look what Nathan said. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, is what he says, you shall not die. This is a special, unique grace that David received at this moment of time. Normally, according to God's law, he should be executed. He should be punished and lose his life. God said, no, this time you shall not die. Is it over? Now, if we think sometimes, you know, our young people that we committed sin, we're just going to run away, it's just nothing's going to happen. There are always consequences for sin. And then, verse 14, however, because of this deed, look what God is saying from a God's perspective. You have given great occasions to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And you look what God says, and that's, 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 somebody needs to die here. Okay, someone needs to die of, so instead of you, David, the innocent child, the child also who is born to you, shall surely die. How, what's, what's the child's got to do with it? 
to preserve one life, the other needs to go. There is a lesson here. You think the Jewish students have no consequences because you run away from them? They'll catch up, they'll catch up to you. One time or the other, okay? You better be, you better be under the umbrella of Christ. Better be. So again, there was no provisions in the Torah for intentional sin. No. Now the question comes. God made, made a lot of specific promises to the nation. The question is, how is God accomplished all these prof- promises that he made to his people when his people, every single one of them, died in sin? How is that possible? We made a covenant. Covenant is a covenant. And covenant is as long as you affect as both of the parties are alive. How are we going to deal with the situation? We, I made so many promises to God's people. I made so many promises to Israel. How am I going to accomplish these promises when the sinful people can't tell a difference what's left and what's right? Book of Acts chapter, chapter 13 here. Book of Acts chapter 13. What the Mosaic Covenant cannot do it, Christ came to accomplish. Just one verse here, but it's such a powerful verse. Acts 13. Just by yourself. Book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 38. Okay? This is what Christ did. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. Keep reading. And by him, everyone who believes in Christ is justified from all the things which you could not be justified by what? By the law of Moses. By the law of Moses, you blaspheme against God, you're dead. No coming back. You commit adultery, you're dead. You dishonor your parents, you're dead. There are a lot of other sins like that in your life. Okay? How we deal with that? Is there any way out of this situation? Go back to Leviticus chapter 3. This is a unique offering. Leviticus chapter 3 here. And this, in my Bible, this offering is entitled the peace offering. Some other translations might have a different one. James Version, somebody puts a peace offering. I'm not saying it's wrong, but just, I just said it could be translated in many different ways. But it, in my case here, in my Bible here, it says peace offering. So let's read one, verse 1. When his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, he shall offer it of the hurt, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Okay? So that's one thing. Okay? Any animal 
male, female, herd or flock, it's called a peace offering. It is a very unique, you'll see why it's a very unique offering. In comparison to all the other ones, okay? Hold your place here. And go to Leviticus chapter 7. Because we don't have all the informations here. So here, here a little and there a little. We'll have a... Leviticus chapter 7. This unique offering is very unique. You'll see why. Chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7. It says, This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offering, which he shall offer to the Lord. So here's a one specific, okay? What can be under the peace offering? Verse 12. A thanksgiving. So the peace offering could be a thanksgiving, right? So that's one part of the offering. A thanksgiving offering. Then you shall offer it with sacrifice of thanksgiving. And look what, what comes next. So that's that's next, okay? Unleavened cakes. Okay? Unleavened cake. Unleavened wafers. Anoint with oil. All blended flour mix with oil. Basically, pure bread must be offered with this offer. They go hand in hand. You can't separate them. If you offer the animal, this thing needs to come too. Okay, this thing needs to come here. So this is called a Thanksgiving offering. Here in verse... situation and verse 13 verse 13 right beside the cakes as his offering he leaven not eleven he should offer leaven bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering and some people will say hey wait a minute Never offer leaven at the altar sacrifice. It's absolutely true. God will never ever permit leaven to be burned of his, to be to be burned on the altar of sacrifice. It's true. You can check it out. I think it's Leviticus chapter two. You can check it out in this chapter to the altar of the Lord. So in this case, it can come in. There's a special. It will come a little bit later. You can eat it. But you can't sacrifice. We'll find we'll find this a little bit later. So this is a very unique offering here, right? In verse 15, here it says, The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving. Look what it says. In all the other ones offering. It says, Shall be eaten the same day as it offered. He shall not leave it any of it until morning. So you offer this animal, you bring this unleavened cakes, and you bring your regular bread, you offer the animal, and now we have a feast. You have a feast. You are partaking together with the priest, front of God, with your family. There's more. There's still more, okay? These are very unique. Now, there is also another part of this offering. It could be a thanksgiving, but also here, in verse 16 it says, but if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow, so there's another aspect, so this peace offering can be a vow. You make a vow to God and you come and you offer something. Just, I, just, I just feel so blessed 
I just want to offer something to God. They will offer a voluntary offering. That's how you do it. And you will partake in it in the tabernacle of meeting with the priests in front of God. It's amazing. It's amazing, brethren, here. What we can learn from the Torah here. Now, there is another aspect. Verse two, uh, first Verse 31, it says, And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar. So when you bring this animal, that's what should happen. You burn the fat on the altar. But the breast shall be Aaron's and his son. So this is, you know, breast. The priest. And also the right tithe you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifice of a peace offering. Right? So it's another part of the animal meat that strictly belongs to the priesthood where they're going to eat and partake in it. And there is another aspect here, but I want you to go to Numbers chapter 15. We have to get there, right? Because not one single information is offered in a single chapter here. So Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. A feast. There is one part. It's missing here. And you guess what? We have meat. We have bread. We have unleavened bread. We have mixed bread. There is something missing here, right? How about a good glass of wine? Numbers 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 1, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have come into the land you are to, to inhabit, which I am giving to you, and you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or a free will offering on your appointed feast to make a sweet from the herd or from the flock, and then, Verse 4, then he who presents his offering to the Lord shall bring a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of a fine flour mixed with one-fourth of what? Of a hint of oil and verse 5. And one-fourth of a hint of wine as a drink offering. So you bring wine, part of the wine goes on the altar. The other part of the wine you drink with your family in presence of God, in presence of the priest. As a feast. So it's not just the animal. It was also the bread. It was also the wine. Name. For this offer. For this offering. Peace offering. The other name. Which I like now. So much better. It's called communion offering. Communion offering. Rings a bell? When we get together on a night like a Passover night, many churches call it a communion. Then you have a feast. When you have a feast, you have a meat. You have unleavened bread. And you have a wine in front, before God, before Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the communion. Is it powerful? When Christ says, I came to bring to the fullness the Torah, that's what it means. He came to fill it up. 
to give us the better understanding what Torah is all about. And he did it. Another aspect. We talk about the firstborn. We talk about some offering, Levitical offering, right? That's the last one. We have to look at the priesthood now. And specifically, not just any priesthood. Not Aaron's priesthood. That was just a temporary. Melchizedek. Melchizedek priesthood. Okay? Genesis chapter 14. Let's just go back there. Just to refresh our memories here. Melchizedek priesthood. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14 verse 18. King of Salem brought out bread and wine. He brought bread and wine and he was the priest of God most high. Was there any priest called back? He's just called Abraham. What kind of priesthood are we talking about? Let's go to Hebrew chapter 7. Hebrew chapter 7. We have some explanations over here. We don't need to guess. Hebrew chapter 7. Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of the days nor end of life, but look here, but mate like the Son of God remains a priest continually. From the beginning to the end, continually. To put all this together, we need some kind of priest like that after the order of Melchizedek. Now skip down to verse 26. Same chapter. Verse 26. Actually, verse 18 first. Hebrews 7, 18. For on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment. Annulling of the former commandment. What commandment are we talking? Because of its weaknesses and unprofitableness. Verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, okay, for they have become priests with, with an oath by him who said to him, if you have a quote, okay, we have a quote here from Psalm 110. It says, the Lord has sworn, I will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek relating to his son. It has nothing to do with Aaron and his priesthood. This is the priesthood forever. This is the priesthood forever. Skip down to verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, 
harmless, undefiled from sinners and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as the high priest to offer own sins and then for the peoples. For this he did once for all and when he offered up himself. And they said, it's done. And look here, for the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses, but the word of God, of the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. If he's the high priest, okay, guess what? The only firstborn, the only begotten of God, he changed in covenant in order to bring all the promises back to life to fulfill it. We have two choices. Either I'm as a God, eliminate my people totally to the last one, according to the Torah. Someone's going to come down, just live to the full the Torah, and die. Two options here. If God took the first option, what that would solve? If let's say God and pick another nation, what that would solve? We have the same character. We have the same minds. We, without God, are evil people. As much as we can do loving, we can also do a lot of evil things. Look what's happened in Ukraine. Look what people can do to people in 21st centuries. We are evil. There's nothing special about us because I'm a Canadian or I'm American. Nothing special. People are people. People everywhere have the people. We need Christ. Hebrew chapter 9. Hebrews 9.15 And for He, Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of that, you can't change the covenant when you are alive. Either one of the sides needs to die to change the covenant. So in this case, Christ came down and decided to lay down his life so he can change the covenant, so that his people could accomplish what God promised. Of the new covenant, by means of that, for the redemptions of the transgressions under the first all might receive the promise of the eternal life. That's what it's all about. Eternal life is the only way how we can accomplish this. One of the party died, then we can annul change. I call it upgrade. This is a much-needed upgrade to the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Eternal life is promised as long, as long as we accept Christ. Unbelievable. As I said, in order to make these necessary changes in the covenant, one of the parties involved had to die. Christ pick. Christ choose, he says, I will go. I will do it, Father. So the promises could be accomplished.
I hope that I not just used this time, I hope that I was able to at least give you a little bit deeper meaning when you're going to come together on the Thursday evening and we're just going to have the little piece of the unleavened bread, a little bit of wine. It's much more than a little cracker and a wine here, okay? Much more. So let's hear in conclusion here. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 26. And look, the same verses now, with all the knowledge that we acquire right here, okay? With a, a, little, a little bit different perspective, with different appreciations for what Christ did. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. Matthew chapter 26. The same verse that you read. And now, who? Who's got this power? Who's got this authority to say, to blubber words like that? Okay? And why? By what kind of authority? Now we know what kind of authority. Okay? Let's read these words again. 26. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, okay? What they were eating? A little cracker here? The supper. They were eating. They were feasting. Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to his disciple and said it. You have no idea what I'm about to do. You're clueless. But you know what? Next year at this time, you will know. But here right now, break it. Eat it. This is what it means. You have no clue now, but eventually we know. Eat it. This is my body. My body. What it means. Like, they don't even have idea that he's going to die the same day. Okay? Then he took the cup. And he gave thanks. And gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant. I want you to notice that here, New covenant, the new. This word is not in the original manuscript. Okay? It was added by the translator. So, this the blood of the covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. Who are you? I am the priest most of the most high God. I am after the order Melchizedek. I lay down my life and because of that I have the right to upgrade the covenant. And I have the right all the sins that were impossible to get forgiveness under the mosaic I have the right to forgive you for that. It's amazing. It's amazing. Everything had to be according to the word of God, to the Torah. Some people would say, God could come up with any other way. No, he couldn't. There was no any other way. He's God. He could come up with whatever he wants to, right? No, he couldn't. This was the only way. Either kill the Israel, die, and change the covenant. There is no any other options. Now before I finish speaking here, we have one more text, actually more than one, but a few verses from the same chapter. Before I go there, I have a question for you. How many of you here in this room, and if you are watching us online, if you have no any other option but just stay home by yourself, please do so. But you have an option that you can go to your neighbors, to your family, to church members, to a church family somewhere. Please do so. 
Please keep it together. This is not just about me and my God. This is much, much bigger than that. This is about the family relationship. Okay, this is a festive observance. How many of you, how many of you will be actually here on Thursday night? Please raise your hand. Very good. Listen to this question. Are you worthy to partake of it? Lift up your hand. Why are you coming? See? We had discussions about Baptist. And people, some people come to the conclusion that I need to be worthy to be ready for something like that. You'll never be worthy. As far without Christ, you're good as dead. Even though you're so great, you're so good, that you totally repent from all your sins, there is still that penalty above your head for the sins that you already have committed. And by that judgment, you're already dead. Only Christ can forgive you. Are you worthy? If you're not worthy, why are we coming? Stay home. See? We have much, much more work under Christ than anybody else. Keep it. Keep it in your mind. This is how God sees you now. Christ's life is much, much, much important than anybody else. And Christ is in you. Revelation chapter 5. And I'm going to finish with this. Here. If you still try to fight with yourself and fight out that you know that you're worthy or you're not worthy. Let me tell you, you're not worthy. You'll never be worthy. Only through Christ you're worthy. Revelation chapter 5. Verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and lose its seal? Ten billion people. Is anyone worthy to come here to the throne of God and open the seals of the scroll? Anyone? Or on earth? was able to open the scroll, to even to look at it. Why? Because not single one of us is worthy to do that. And even John starts to cry here in verse 4. What a sad situation. Verse 6. And I look and behold, in the midst of throne, and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, powerful being, Powerful angelic being, but here, a little lamb. Okay, a little lamb. As though it had been slain, a wounded lamb. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, this little lamb has got a huge authority. 
huge authority. Okay, seven. It's then he came and took the scroll of the right. The father, he walked into it so close, grabbed the scroll. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before wounded lamb, each having a harp and golden balls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And look what they did. And they sang a new song. And you can read it, this song. You can read it at your own time. But here, just skip to verse 13 here. To verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the and such as in the sea and all that are in them, every single one saying, blessing and honor and glory and power to be with him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb Forever and ever. Is our wounded lamb worthy of our worship? Absolutely yes. Without the lamb we have nothing. Are you worthy? Because if you think you're not, just don't come. May God bless you all. Thank you, brother. That wonderful message we lead into the Passover on Thursday. Everyone, if you'd like to rise, we have a couple of hymns to close out the song service. We'll begin on page 33. Page 33. The Prodigal Son on page 33.
And we will close on page 168. Page 168. Afterwards, we'll have Brother Landon come forward and close us in prayer. Page 168. I see the mighty power.
Dear Heavenly Father, we um, come before you so humbly as as your people and ones that you've called out. Um, we thank you for for every day that you give us and every every breath that you give us. We know that life is precious and um, we know that you've given us one life in this in this body, this mortal body that and we we pray now that we fully understand the words that you've given us today through your servant. We ask that you be with us throughout this week leading into this very important day. Um, we just ask that you would give us the guidance that we need and everything that we could use coming up to this Passover day. We we also ask now for the blessing on the fellowship. We're so thankful for the stream that you give us and for right now the freedom to gather and to speak about your word and to have the food, both spiritual and physical. We ask that you bless both and be with everyone as they travel home. And we ask that you be with all of your people as this, this Sabbath day closes out. And we thank you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a couple of quick announcements before you dismiss. There will be no Bible study this week as we take a break for Passover. And obviously, uh, we will meet here on Thursday evening for Passover. And we can discuss some of those inner workings and details during the family discussion. We will close in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Also of the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen.